as I've been studying Daniel, reading Daniel, it is having huge impact on my life, and I believe it's going to have huge impact on our church and on your life. And so if you'd go ahead and open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. question I have for you as you're opening your Bibles up, open them up on your phone or your paper Bible, what are the dreams that you're dreaming? What's your dream? What are, what are you dreaming? When, when you have free time, when, when, when things aren't hectic, when you, when you have down moments, available moments of space and time to think, where does your, where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? What are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? What is a, what's stirring in, inside of your, of your soul? What are you dreaming about? You know, many people, most people are dreaming about the American dream, right? To own a house, have a, have a car or two, have a family, say a family of four, uh, to be able to, to, uh, to have fun. In fact, the American dream is defined as, as just that as being able to own a home, uh, uh, cars, being able to, one, one study listed it as this, uh, being able to, to do those things and being able to eat out once a week, a date night for parents, one movie a month. Uh, uh, and, and so as you look just at what the American dream is, what the study showed is that there is not one country in the world where the average citizen can afford the American dream, including America, including America. Um, USA Today in the year 2014 did a study on the American dream, and using the definition I used earlier, but then adding with that, having adequate health care, um, being able to save adequately for retirement, and being able to help those two kids in that nuclear family through college would take $130,000 a year, which is not what the average American makes, right? And so there's this dream, this American dream that America's dreaming of, that we're thinking of, that's not even realistic, that for so many people is not even obtainable. It's not even obtainable. Uh, I love this quote by by author uh, Brian Welsh. It says this, it says, dreams by definition are supposed to be unique and imaginative, yet the bulk of our population is dreaming the same dream. It's a dream of wealth, of power, of fame, plenty of sex, and recreational activities. A whole population dreams the same dream of empires triumphant, which reveals that imagination has been taken captive. An alternative to the empire requires different dreams animated by a different narrative. And that different narrative that we're going to be looking at is the book of Daniel. Because we see in the book of Daniel, we see a a people that are experiencing culture shift which is what the series of this title is. The culture has been shifted. They were um, in Jerusalem. They were, they were, uh, there were those that were following God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem, took them as exiles. In fact, we have a map here uh, which kind of explains it. And so we have Babylon down here in the, kind of in the central quadrant. And, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes all of that area. Uh, he was married to uh, King Artaxerxes from the from the Medes, the Median Empire, to either his daughter or granddaughter, uh, history tells us. And so they began, that, that, was a, a, that coalition was formed, and he expanded the empire all the way over past Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was to rule the world of great power, great fame, great wealth, to be the most powerful man, the most powerful king in the world, which, and he did. He, he accomplished that dream, but in the midst of that, he took captives. And so he took prisoners of war, 
from Jerusalem, Jewish people that, that loved God, that served him, and, 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 and they took them out. And that's what we talked about last week in week one, is how do you handle when you experience a culture shift? How, how do you handle this as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, experience this? How, how do you do it? And we talked about last week when there's a culture shift that you either, um, that, you know, the culture tries to rename you as they did the, the what we call the children of, of Israel, as, as they did the, the four Hebrew boys, as they did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, it tries to rename you uh, from, in that case, from their Hebrew names to Babylonian names. It tries to claim you. It tests you. You're tested, all these things. And what happens is you're, you're left with a choice. How are you going to respond in the culture which you find yourself in? Because Daniel and his friends did not want to be in Babylon. That was not on their agenda. They were forced into some place that they didn't want to go. They were forced into a culture where they didn't belong. They didn't fit. But, so how did they live? They, how did they live? How did they honor God in a, in a dishonoring God culture? How do we do it today in a culture that is dishonoring towards God, that's becoming anti-God, that is... Um, that's, that's a conflict with the things of, of God, with the kingdom of God. How do you respond? And last week we talked about there's really, there's three responses. One is to totally separate from culture. Is to just totally separate, just to, to do your own thing, just try to be totally, totally different, not engaging culture at all. The opposite extreme is to assimilate into culture, is to become like the world around you that, that nobody could even tell any different. Like the quote that your dreams are the dreams of of all of your neighbors, that, that everybody's the same. But then we talked about a third option. A third option, which is being a faithful people of God and being faithful to a faithful God and living in the midst of a culture and having impact and changing that. And that doesn't mean getting bullhorns out. It doesn't mean uh, yelling at people. It doesn't mean people knowing us more for what we're against than what we're for. But it also doesn't mean living a life of timidity, of being afraid of, of, being, uh, of being a follower of Christ, of keeping our faith just private and to ourself and, 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 and recluse. No, it's living, it's living and engaging the culture around us. And we see, we see here how David and his, excuse me, Daniel and his friends do this. We see how it happens. And so Daniel chapter two, this is, this is what's going on. I'll, I'll set it up for you because it's a lot of verses um, in, this, in this chapter. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, who has taken them as prisoners of war, he was having a dream, probably a continual dream, so he's having this dream, and it was bothering him. He couldn't, he couldn't sleep at night. It was keeping him awake. He didn't know what this dream was. Well, he had what was called wise men. Uh, he had the astrologers, astronomers, soothsayers, um, all, this, uh, all the ways they tried to discern wisdom and knowledge and understanding as they worshiped their false gods. Uh, they had all of this. And so he calls them together, and he says, I need you to interpret my dream for me. I'm like, okay, well, what was your dream? And he says, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You're like, what? You're not going to tell us the dream? He goes, he goes, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me what the dream is. And after you tell me what the dream is, then you will tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, you're crazy. Like, no king has ever asked his wise men to ever do anything like that. That's a, you're asking us an impossible task. We'll never be able to do that. Please, tell us, tell us what your dream is. He said, no, I'm not going to do it because if I tell you what my dream is, you'll make up an interpretation and I won't know if it's true or not. And, and, and I'll, I'll know, if you know what the dream is, then I'll know that the interpretation is true and is accurate. I'll know, I'll know that it is. 
And, and he goes, and if you don't, I'm going to cut you up into pieces. You, your kids, your family, I'm going to burn your houses down. There'll never be a trace of you. See, that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He was an evil, evil man. And, and in fact, that's what he did in Jerusalem. He invaded twice, invaded the first time. He set up a puppet king, and then there was a, he revolted, so he sent in again, and he burned Jerusalem to the ground. In fact, even the last several weeks, there's been discovery in Jerusalem where they're digging out what's called the city of David, the old Jerusalem, which is right outside the Temple Mount, and they're getting deeper and deeper. Now they're finding all of this charred wood. They're finding what we're reading about in Daniel of the evidence of, of what has happened. Did you know that Daniel is one of the most uh, disputed books in the Bible? That a liberal um, scholars, uh, those that don't hold fast and true to the Word of God, they would say that uh, they would say that Daniel can't be true because it's too accurate. It predicts history. The prophecies are too accurate. There's no way that a, that a person could ever prophesy like that. Well, it is very accurate. It's extremely accurate. And Jesus, and when he sat on the Mount of Olives, he looked at the temple and he said, there's coming a day where there'll be a bombalation of desolation that's going to happen right here. And when it happens, he said, you need to take off and you run for the hills because it's getting really, really bad. He, and that was taken from Daniel. So he said, as Daniel prophesied. And so he, Jesus quotes Daniel. So if Jesus quotes Daniel and believes Daniel, how many know that's good enough for me, right? I mean, if Jesus believed him, I believe him. I believe in, 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 what, is, in what is being written um, in, in this book called Daniel. And so, and so the, the crisis here in this story is that he's had a dream. He's told his wise men that they have to interpret him. If they don't, he's going to kill him. And so he sends the executioner out because nobody can interpret it. And the executioner comes to Daniel and tells him what's going on. And Daniel appeals to him. And he says, let me go talk to the king. So Daniel goes and talks to the king. He says, king, give, it, give me just a little bit more time. And, and I believe I'll be able to come back and I'll be able to give you the in interpretation. So they halt the execution. Daniel and his three friends, they get together and they pray. And when they pray, that night, God gives Daniel the interpretation of this dream. Gives the interpretation of the dream. And then, so then he goes to um, the, the official who is leading up the execu execution and begins to explain to him uh, what's going on. And we'll pick, so we'll pick it up at verse 24. I'm going to read a little bit from the screen, and then I'm going to come to the text um, in my Bible, and then I'm going to go back to the screen so, verse 24, therefore Daniel went to Arioch, who is the, that was the official who was leading the execution, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said this to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said this to him, I have found a man of the captives, so those are the prisoners of war, the exiles that were taken out of, of Israel. And we have the book of Daniel, the book of Esther, uh, the book of Ezekiel, parts of Jeremiah, which were written to these, to these captives. Um, and I'll tell the king the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said this to him. I, oh, I reread that, didn't I? Of, of Judah. Okay, here we go. Who will make known to the king the interpretation? The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that's what we talked about last week, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare it to the king. But there is a God in heaven. And I'm telling you, I love that verse. 
So as I've been reading this passage this week, I've read it multiple times, and every time I read it, when I come to verse 28, and it says, but there is a God in heaven, I just have to stop. Because that changes everything. Because there really is a God, and because He really does reign supreme, that He's in, control, he's in charge, He's in control. And so I just, I just love that verse. But there is a God in heaven. Can you just say that with me? Say, but there is a God in heaven. One more time. But there is a God in heaven who reveals a secret. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can still do that? Do you believe that God does still do that today? That he can reveal secrets to man if we ask him to? I mean, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe he does. I believe he does, and and the Scripture shows us this. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And so this this dream, he's saying this dream, he reveals this, he's saying this is about what's going to happen at the end times, at the end days. And that's a big part of what the book of Daniel is. These these last days, as they're called, latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. So he tells him what he dreamed. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what you had come about what come to pass after this and he who reveals secrets has been made known to you what will be but as for me this secret has not been revealed to me because i have more wisdom than anyone living he does not take credit for it he's not saying it's because i'm smarter he's not saying it's because he's more wise he's more talented he gives all the glory to god and he says but it's for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. So here he tells him the interpreta- uh, what the dream was. A great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold. Let me just let this sink in. So there's this huge statue, this huge image, its head is fine gold. Its chest and arms are of silver. The most precious things that there are of silver. Its belly and thighs of, of bronze. And its legs of iron. One of the strongest materials that there is. Its feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. That they were mixed together. And you watched while a stone was cut without hand. So a, a stone... There was this cut stone, a stone was cut without hands, supernaturally, which struck the image. So this, this, uh, this stone is coming, uh, this stone out of nowhere comes and, and strikes the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it breaks them into pieces. And then we know that everything began to, to tumble. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed. Everything was crushed together and became like chaff and uh, from the summer threshing floor just and the wind carried them away so that no trace no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became we're going to get to this like circle this in your bible this is important the image that became a great mountain and filled the whole earth i'm going to pick up in verse 36 in my bible this was the dream. This is what he told him. This was the dream. Now we will interpret it to the king. O king, you are the king of kings. He was saying, you're the greatest king 
on the face of the earth at the time. He's saying the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. You see that it was delegated authority that God, God sets up kings and he removes kings. In your hand, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, which is a reflection of creation, of how we were created in a benevolent way to serve and to steward um, all of creation. Where they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. So he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold. Verse 39, after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong, partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. Verse 44, back up here. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever in so much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in the pieces the iron the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold and so he gives them this interpretation the great god has made known to the king what will come to pass after this the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure and nebuchadnezzar was believing him he told him what he dreamed i mean that's amazing it's sure verse 46 then king nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him the king answered daniel and said truly your god is the god of gods the lord of kings and the revealer of secrets since you have revealed this Wow, Daniel had the understanding. He was able to share it. He was able to explain it. So what does that mean? What does this mean for us? How does this apply to us today? Well, I have a couple of things if you want to, if you're on the church app, if you're on our app at Grace 417, Grace Springfield, these are on there. If not, you can, you can jot them down. Number one is that God is in control. God's in control. Actually, before we do that, will you put that one um, slide up? Do the second slide with there. Do this one. So this is uh, this is kind of a, a rendering, a drawing of, of of this image that the gold was the Babylonian Empire, the silver was the uh, Medo Persian um, Empire. So after Babylon, uh, the Medes and the Persians, which is modern day Iran, where Babylon is modern day Iraq, uh, came and, and took over, destroyed them. Then and history, I mean, this is history shows this is true. And then after that was Alexander the Great was the Greek Empire, because this, was, this vision took place around 600 uh, B.C., B.C.E., uh, before, before that. And, and so then so we have the Greek Empire. Then we had the Roman Empire, which represents the iron legs. And we know that the Roman Empire 
Yeah, they did. With force, they took over the entire earth. And so the, the bottom, the bottom feet, iron and clay, there's a lot of different uh, conversations about what that means. A lot of different scholars have, have different interpretations of it. Uh, some, because it's two feet, is an extension of the legs. They're saying it's like the Holy Roman Church. They're, they're saying it's like the East and the West Church after it was split uh, in, 300, um, in 300 A.D., uh, that, 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 that that happened. Um, and, and so there's a lot of different... The people have said now, because of the nation of Israel, it's, it's really, now that it's a nation, it really brought, brought clarity to the understanding of this interpretation. And, and so I just have it here listed. I didn't write this. I just found it online as modern powers. Uh, some scholars would say that it represents absolutely... I mean, we know from the, from the interpretation of Daniel, it represents end times. This could be representative of the Antichrist or the final kingdom. That it's a human kingdom that will reign over the earth. And so we have this final kingdom that will be here in the last days of the Antichrist that will be in place. And then we have Jesus Christ, who is the rock, who comes and destroys it. And this kingdom that is here, but not fully, completely yet, will completely manifest and take over the entire earth. And this rock will then be the mountain that will compass the entire earth okay so what does this mean for us right this means for us that number one god is in control god is in control in fact in verse uh, 21 i don't have it on the screen but verse verse 21 it says uh, this is daniel thanking the god thanking god for the interpretation he says he changes times and seasons speaking of god he sets up kings and dis- and deposes of them so we know that god is in control we know that god sets up kings remove kings we know that i mean so can i just be like just just real transparent for a minute like okay so i'm 44 that's not the real transparent part um so i'm 44 i think in the 90s this morning is kind of the top end of of our congregation somewhere in the 90s and we have we have young kids we have this basically this morning we have represented like 100 years and it seems like a long time. I mean, can you think of a hundred years? Like, a hundred years is, isn't it hard to wrap your mind around what a hundred years looks like? But when you look at history, right? A hundred years, I mean, it goes pretty fast. It's pretty fast. And so we, like all we know, unless you've, unless you've mi- migrated here, unless you're an immigrant or, you know, we have, we have several in our church, um, but like all I've ever known is America. I mean, I've traveled all over the world, but like, but I know the, the government that I understand, the government I know is America. And like, I mean, I would just think that America would be here forever, right? I mean, I know we're not that old. We're a few hundred years old, but I mean, it's like we, we've been the strongest in the world. I mean, just, but when I read verses like this, when I see pictures of that statue, right? It's like, that's, very, very short-sighted, that our world is not America-centric. The Bible is not America-centric. It's Israel-centric, but it's not America-centric. That though everything doesn't revolve around us, okay? But like we think it does, right? I mean, because that's all we know. That's, that's just all we know. But when we think about it, like America is not the strongest thing in the world. God is the strongest in the world. His government is the strongest in the world. 
His government is the most powerful. He is in control. Governments come, governments go. Nations rise, nations fall. We've seen it happen in days in history where these things can just change overnight. Those are things we're not in control of, but we serve a God who is in control. We serve a God who's sovereign over everything, including nations. And we know that human nations rise and fall. So so the way this applies is that Daniel is not living, I don't believe Daniel is living the life that he had imagined. Okay, at this point, he may be about 18, maybe 19 years old. Probably no no older than that. He had just been in Babylon a few years. Um, he, uh, he, this wasn't the life he had thought of growing up. He thought of growing up in Jerusalem. He thought of worshiping at the temple. Like this, being a prisoner of war. I mean, think about this. I mean, who would you say would be the most... Okay, I don't want to pick on countries here, and I'm, I'm just kind of making this up on the fly. But who would you say would be like one of the most evil nations in the world? Would you? I mean, if we took a vote, could we say maybe North Korea? Like, is that just, if you're, if you're Korean or North Korean, it's not personal? Here, I'm just saying, you know, I know the dictator does need a haircut. I do know that. But something different with that. But, okay, so imagine, just imagine if North Korea tomorrow came, invaded, took a, overcame America, and took you and moved you to the capital of North Korea, and you're serving in this dictator's cabinet you're one of his consultants because he wants to use you to influence your people that are there as prisoners of war does that help this make more sense like does that i mean talk about culture shift right and so but that's what that's what they're looking that what i'm saying is that is not the life that daniel thought he was going to have that was not the life he ended so how do we when we're experiencing a life that we didn't think would turn out this way, that we didn't think things were going to be this way, we find ourselves in circumstances that we couldn't have predicted that weren't on our five-year plan or whatever year plan you're working on. How do you respond in that? How do you live in that way? Well, I like one pastor who said it this way. He said, it was in the chaos of the hand that Daniel was dealt, not the life he imagined living, that he found his unique role in God's story. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give you, it was in the chaos in the hand that Daniel was dealt. This wasn't what he had planned. This wasn't what he had hoped for. But it was the reality of where he was. And in the midst of that, God was using him and God was making a difference with him because God is in control. The second aspect, the second thing I want you to note is that to work for the good of the city. We're, and we touched on this last week and I'm going to hit it again because it's crucial. It's crucial. Jeremiah 28 records a prophecy that the false prophet Hananiah shared with the people of God in Babylon and said, this is only going to last a couple of years, right? In two years, we're going to be back in Jerusalem. Everything's going to be, everything's going to be hunky-dory. I don't know what hunky-dory is in Hebrew, but Hananiah did, and that's what he told them. Everything's going to be fine. The things are going to be back to normal. And Jeremiah's like, he's wrong. It's not business as normal. It's not business as usual. Everything isn't going to be okay. He's like, you're going to be here a while. Your, your life's going to be, you're going to, Daniel, just, you're going to need to make the very, very most of this. And so how do we, when we find ourselves in a culture that's against God, maybe circumstances in your life that you never would have picked, how do you respond? How do you live it to the most? How do you do this? Well, we see it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 
uh, 29. It says here, build houses and settle down. Like, just plant yourself. Be there. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Not with the Babylonians, but with the people, the like-minded people that were the exiles there, the prisoners of war. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too prosper. So make the very, very best. Dig in. Have influence. Maybe you're in a job situation you don't love. Maybe you're in a city. You're stuck in a place that you're not loving. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Whatever it might be, when you find yourselves in these places, say, Lord, extend your kingdom right where I am. Whatever's going on in my life, Lord, just extend your kingdom. Lord, let your dream become my dream so it can happen in my lifetime. Number three, pray as if your life depends on it. So these are some of the lessons out of this. God's in control. Work for the good of your city right where you are and pray as if your life depends on it. The book of Daniel, we'll talk about four different times where Daniel prayed, where Daniel prayed, Daniel prayed, Daniel prayed. In verse 17, we see, we see Daniel praying here. It says, so after he met with the king, he returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Who do they plead for mercy from? Is it from the king? No. They don't plead for mercy from the king. They plead for mercy from the king of kings, from whom all mercy flows. And so they pled for mercy to God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men. I mean, I mean you know, that's a motive to prayer, right? I mean, that'll get you. If that doesn't get you on your knees, right, what, what will? But I'm telling you, our prayer life is a matter of, of life and death. Spiritually, it's, it's a matter of life and death. We're in, a, we're in a real spiritual battle, real spiritual struggle. Verse 19, during the night, the mysteries revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. I tell you, folks, man, I want to be even more so a man of prayer in my life. I want us to even more so be a church of prayer, that we seek God, we seek his face, that we're people of prayer, that it's a priority for us. This is why we do 21 days of prayer. We'll start it next Sunday, and we're going to, for 21 days, we're going to gather and pray every day from 6 to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, Saturdays 9 to 10. We're going to have worship here. Uh, we're going to have a devotional time of encouragement of prayer, a private prayer. We're going to have corporate prayer. They'll start right at 6 and end right at 7. And, and I'm telling you, it's life-changing. I've seen people We've done it for a full year now. We've done it twice. We do it in January and we do it in August. And I've seen people's lives literally change. Course of, the course of their life change. I've seen families reconciled. I've seen people healed. I've seen people get jobs. That need a job. I've seen amazing things during these 21 days of prayer. Because prayer not only changes things, prayer changes us. And, and so I'm, I, just, I just want to implore you, if you can all work your schedule... Be a part of our 21 days of prayer. If that doesn't work for you, then, be, then pray, pray at home during these next 21 days, starting next Sunday. We're going to have a prayer guide we're going to give you next week, but put it, on your, put it on your calendar. Let's be people of prayer. Let's pray like our life depends on it. Number four, we see in this story 
that God is up to something. God is up to something. The situation appears hopeless, but God was up to something because there is a God in heaven, and he was at work. And, and you know what I love about this? What I love about the book of Daniel is that you cannot have the, the, the things that occur in the book of Daniel, they, they cannot exist, they do not occur without supernatural intervention from God. And so often, I think we kind of get stuck living our Christian life, missing the supernatural aspect. And we see from Scripture right here that if we're going to live in culture shift, if we're going to make a difference in a culture that's, that's against God, that's different, it's going to take supernatural intervention for a difference to be made in the lives of other people. And friends, we're not in a time of it's just life is normal, everything's the same, just put it in autopilot through life. That's not the culture, that's not the context that's not the situation that we find ourselves in today. We find ourselves in a place where we need the supernatural hand of God on our lives, on our families, on our church. And unless the Spirit of God is manifest, unless there's supernatural manifestations, there are people that won't come to Christ. There's, there's people that will only, only understand who God is because of something of the Spirit of God moving. We know it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit says the Lord of hosts out of Zechariah. That is, that is, this happens, that it's going to change people's lives. Nebuchadnezzar would have never acknowledged that Yahweh was the king of kings without supernatural manifestation in their life. And so we need that. We, I need more than what I have. Are you like that? When I'm trying to witness somebody, when I want to share Jesus, I want people to be healed. I want, I want to be able to to have a dream and, and have vision and understand what other people's dreams and visions are. I'm not trying to get wacky, but what I'm saying is there's a supernatural aspect of partnering with God to see his kingdom advance. And if we leave out, if it's a supernatural kingdom and you leave out the supernatural, what do you have left, right? It's mostly doctrine and rules and regulations. And that's not, he has so much more for us than that. Can I get one amen out of that? Amen, all right. So let's get back to the dream and interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. His dream was to rule the world. He has a vision that confirms that he will rule the world. And so the question I have as we we're wrapping up this morning is what kingdom are you dreaming of? What kingdom are you building? What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? What's the kingdom that you're dreaming of? Is it your kingdom? Somebody else's kingdom? The kingdom of God. The main point, friends, the main point in this dream is not the statue. Let me say that. So many people think about the statue. It's focused on the statue. There's, um, there's books written about the statue. So many people focus on the statue, but the point of the dream is not the statue. The point of the dream is the rock. That is the key element. It's the rock. And the reality is that dreams without God reveal a faulty foundation that will crumble. Anything in our lives that's built on anything other than Jesus will ultimately fail and crumble and come to nothing. But as we, we either have to build our lives on the, on the rock of God and of His Word and of who He is, or everything else is just shifting sand. Just shifting sand. Isaiah 28, 16. Isaiah prophesied this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, which represents 
The temple represents the presence, the place of God. A tested stone. A precious cornerstone that everything hinges on, that everything is built around. For a sure foundation, the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. That if if you build your life, you live your life on anything other than the surety of Jesus and His kingdom of who He is, then we live lives of insecurity, lives of fear, lives of not knowing what's going to happen. But when our feet are on the rock, right? We're not that statue. We're, we're not going to crumble. We're, 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 on, we're in Jesus. We're on Him. Peter, Peter acknowledges. Peter quotes Isaiah and refers back to Daniel. Did you guys know that? Peter refers back to this vision. So this is what the... Oh, sorry, that's Isaiah. Go to Peter. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by humans, this is speaking of Jesus, we know he was executed on the cross, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, because we're a part of him, we're being fashioned into this temple, a spiritual house, um, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes Isaiah, for I see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame jesus is that stone jesus is this cornerstone now to you who believe the stone is precious but to those who do not believe it's the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone so scripture he says that we will either fall on him we will either fall on the rock and our our humanness will be broken we come in humility we come in repentance and we fall upon jesus and we ask him we say we're, we're, we fall on Him, we're broken, we're needy, we need You, Jesus. We receive His salvation, or we resist Him, and we stand in pride, just like the kingdoms of this world. And one day, the kingdom will come, and it will, it will, will bring destruction. It will bring damnation. It will bring separation from Him. We either fall and break ourselves on Him, or it comes and it crushes us. And so how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Let me show you something real quick about the rock. This is, this, is, this is crucial. The rock is cut without hands. Did you notice that? It was a hewn rock without hands. It means that this kingdom, this kingdom that overcomes every other kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. It's a supernatural kingdom. It's not of this world. Our solutions don't come from this world. It's, it's supernatural. Number two, in this vision, the rock is the least valuable substance in the dream. It's the least, it's undervalued. We find ourselves in a culture where the things of God, the kingdom of God is undervalued. That's the way of the world. That's the way things are. But it's the most valuable thing there can be. Jesus told parables about it. But then look at this finally. But the rock starts small. The rock starts small, but at the end of the vision, it was huge. It was a mountain that covered the face of the earth, which speaks prophetically about the end times. When we know the kingdom has come, when Jesus came, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is among us. But when Jesus comes again, it's going to be fully here, fully and completely. Let me look at a couple of verses. I have Hebrews right here. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, the city built on this rock, whose architect and builder is God. And go to this, uh, this prophetic passage in Micah. And we'll end with this this morning. In the last days, what was at the bottom of the, uh, 
of the, the vision. The vision was about the last days, wasn't it? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. What was it in the vision? It was the highest. It was the mountains, wasn't it? So we see this. We see this prophecy about end times. It will be exalted above the hills. The peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples, settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Forever and ever. Whose dream are you dreaming? Is it a carnal dream? Is it an earthly dream? Is it the American dream? Are you thinking, are you dreaming about God's dream? 